Having conversations like these with strangers never ceases to amaze me. The whole point of this podcast is that passion isn't wasted. And I see so many people doing a job they hate or have to do because it's convenient or easy. And the guests on the podcast are the exact opposite. They all follow their dreams and ambitions and everyone from influencers to mechanics will share that passion, whether they share it outwardly or inwardly. And speaking of contrasts, today's episode will give you two perspectives. From an industry we don't typically hear about from the inside. And so if you are interested in hearing a little sneak peek into what life is like in those roles, then this is what you can expect. Who I am today, um, I think today, passion for me is more about how people work together. And just going in one direction really doesn't help the overall effort. It's understanding what you can do, what choices you can make and how you can help people and people can help you to achieve a car that is overall going to be the most sellable car, the best car for people to use every day. You know, the time between when I was at that stage in my career and where Harry is, it was very much a bit of a battleground. You know, it was this sort of tug of war over who'd get their own way. If I go back 30 years, it was very confrontational. There wasn't the sense of shared purpose. I found the an- you had to have the answer yesterday. And when okay. you have to have the answer yesterday, you have to get it right first time because you're already a day late. And that I struggled quite a lot with that. Just bear in mind that the problems you will have to solve when you get to my age are way more difficult than the problems I'm wrestling with today. The more we can help that those generations sort of wrestle with that, you're going to need to be brighter and cleverer, guys, just to deal with it, honestly. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. Today's a bit of a different one. We've got two guests. Again, I've done a few of these guys, so um, be patient because each person's going to tell their story and each person's going to give their point of view. But today we've got Harvey and Harry. These two guys are the two ends of their own career. They are doing two different things, but also doing quite quite similar things. I mean, guys, if you could give me a sort of a context to, you can go however you want, but if you can give me a context to who you are um, and a bit of sort of how you got started and sort of where you think you're heading. Yeah, okay, so... Shall I start? Uh, so I'm Harvey. I these days work as a management consultant and trainer. But for the first 27 years of my career, I worked for what was variously the British Leyland Motor Corporation, Rover Group, BMW Group, the mini business in the UK. Did a whole variety of stuff. I started as an engine in engineering, having done an engineering science degree at Durham, sponsored through university by what was then British Leyland. Uh, Then my career took me through a whole load of interesting roles that took me out of engineering into other bits of the company, um, but gave me a real passion for the way the industry worked, which has sort of formed the foundation of my consulting career. And I'm sure we'll get into that a bit more as we go through the the session. And uh, how I got to know Harry is Harry is my middle daughter's partner. I've got three, three daughters in their early 30s, late 20s. Harry is middle one's partner, and uh, since he came into the family, it's been really nice to have someone to talk car stuff about. Yeah, so my name's Harry. 
uh i'm 32 so i've uh yeah i've been working about 10 years or so and most of it has been in motorsport so i came out of university uh and i had cars road cars and motorsport and wasn't quite sure which way to go and i i flopped on the motorsport side to begin with and just recently have moved over to the road car side so started working at jlr yes that's kind of my history i guess my my motorsport background was uh i spent about eight years with mercedes and formula one and then a year and a half or so with alpha tari so big small teams big companies and small companies i guess yeah Brilliant. And we can get on to sort of got your opinion, guys, of, of, of how you've come so far. But what I'd like to know is a bit more of a context about who you are. Um, if I was meeting you for the first time, what would I need to know about who you are and your character to help me explain who you are today? Who I am today? Um, I think today, passion for me is more about how people work together. I mean, what I yeah, what I loved about my time in the car industry was the work I did in multidisciplinary teams. So, you know, as you can imagine, the creation of a new car requires lots and lots of different groups of people to to be able to work together. And I think a big characteristic of, of my career, if you think what's the joining thread, was always finding ways of helping those different disciplines to have better conversations, to work together better as a team. Because if you imagine how it might have been in the very early days of my career, it was very much, you know, one department would do their bit, chuck it over the wall to the next department, chuck it all over the wall to the next department. And every step, they had, they created problems that they then had to go back and fix. Whereas if we look at the car industry today, it's very much more about getting everything talked about, agreed, sorted out very early in the process. So the whole thing is a lot smoother. You know, so while I started out in the sort of technical side of things, what became interesting was more not just the process for that, the sort of technical aspect, but the people aspect in terms of how we help people have better conversations. So these days, you know, that's what I've carried out into my consulting career. And again, that's the thing that joins it all together, because I do some consulting in the engineering product development world, some of it in the manufacturing world. And helping those two groups of people have better conversations is is very much a core of of what I do. Family is really important to us. And again, it's it's finding great opportunities to get together. You know, and I, th- I think Harry's just thrown himself into this madhouse of our family, which is sort of five of us around the meal table all talking to, talking to each other. And he, he just sits there and takes it all in some of the time, but it's been a great addition to that as well. It's quite interesting here, hearing Harvey talk about, um, I guess, the team side and the, um, the integration side and the conversational side of his career because um i guess we don't directly talk about this that much in a in a such a career oriented way but i have a lot of similar interests kind of within my um within my role and within how i work i guess the teamwork side of things is something that i've always really really enjoyed i think um when i look back on all the things in my life career or otherwise that have been really cool and just that I, I remember as standout moments they're always in groups of people it's always achievement together mm. and my role now is as a, a lead engineer within aerodynamics so um, a large part of my role is having those conversations that Harvey was talking about across the business and representing aerodynamics to the rest of the company 
and I absolutely love it. It's just brilliant. So yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. but it's kind of an interesting thing because the, the the main bit of my engineering career was car crash performance in the days when safety was a necessary evil more than a, a desirable selling thing, as it sure. became, and therefore a lot of a lot of the stuff I bumped up against in those days was us being seen as a bit of a nuisance to the mainstream process of designing a car that looked cool and handled well and performed well and was comfortable and and everything else you know and we were seen as the guys who made a complete mess of that you know they gave us this look they gave us a beautiful prototype car and they got it back a little bit messed up after we crash tested it which they were not very keen on um, and they were less keen when we came along and said oh yeah you see it doesn't work so you need to change the design we were a bit of an interference and I guess these days, aerodynamics is a bit the same, isn't it? It's one of these things you have to pay attention to, but actually gets in the way of styling and 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 the aesthetic of the car and all of that sort of stuff. It can be. It can be to some extent. I, yeah, there there is an element of um, uh, you're trying to drag in a direction, and other attributes and car characteristics are trying to drag in other directions. But it, I think it's the the challenge of that is not. Um, dragging to your uh, to the exclusion of others it's really dragging in a combined way where you actually i guess if you had a like a spider plot of everything it's dragging everything out at the same time and trying to find the right compromises yeah. so one person one attribute is not yeah and and i think that's a recognition of where the the industries come over the you know the time between when i was at that stage in my career and where harry is mm. is that it was very much a bit of a battleground. You know, it was this sort of tug of war over who'd get their own way. A lot sure. of the time, if I go, you know, if I go back 30 years, it was very, I wouldn't say confrontational per se, but there wasn't the sense of shared purpose, perhaps, that Harry's just described that says, how do we optimise the whole car? You know, and I, th- yeah. I think that's very much about how the industry's developed over that intervening 30 plus years. It's yeah, I mean, it's great to hear you guys your sort of learnings and sort of taking taking people's opinions in. I mean, in terms of speaking about learnings, in terms of your education, how did you guys both get into the trade in the first place? Because it's important for the guys listening to know that there are multiple different ways to enter this industry. There's multiple different channel, channels and avenues to take. So, was it pretty much the same, and or did you guys take a different different route in? Um, interesting. Probably very similar, but we I don't think we've ever talked about this bit, have we? So, so for <laughs> me. You know, I was I was all prepared to answer your usual question. You know, you always start, usually start the podcast with what ignited your passion for cars. Um, and I got my nah, answer. The, the new ones ask, don't. <laughs> ask us. But 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 that, that was part of it, because my answer to that question is it's always been there. You know, I, I can't say I was born with it because there's no, you know, there's no history in my family of people being in the car industry, really. You know, my dad's family were all engineers in in machine tools, so related topic. But uh, on the other hand, you know, my mum's always used to say I could always, I knew what all the different types of road car were before I could talk. You know, in my very in very simple speech, I could point to the cars on the road and I knew what they all were. Um, so I picked that up from somewhere. And then as a as a school discipline, you know, I was all, you know, I, I enjoyed the sciences, so particularly physics and maths were my my top subjects at school. But interestingly, for a long time, I wanted to be an architect. You know, I was okay. interested in buildings as well as cars, and architecture seemed like a cool career. 
But the more I explored what the what the what the subjects were about when you got to do them as a career, it became very clear that the engineering side was more interesting to me and more a natural fit than than the the sort of styling sort of side of architecture, if you like. The other thing that put me off was architecture was a seven-year course, and that didn't turn very good. And actually, just thinking that through, there was this natural fit between engineering, my interest in cars, the fact that actually we lived on the doorstep of the Rover and Land Rover car factory in Solihull when I was growing up. So car making was sort of part of where I lived, and it was a natural progression. And then you discover that in those days, the industry would often support you through university. So giving you industrial placements in the vacation times and so on. And it, it just felt like the right move. In the end, I did what was called a student apprenticeship in those days. So that meant I did a year with the company before I went to uni. They supported me through university. So I went back in the vacations and then there was a natural move into a career at the end. So that's me. You could copy and paste a lot of it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I always enjoyed as a kid motorbikes are what I was always pointing out and like obsessed by and then kind of developed a bit of a love of cars when I was I guess teenager I was always like building stuff and playing with stuff boy as, like, you, as I, you do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so to some extent almost almost fell into engineering just because it you know everyone told me I should be an engineer the cars thing the engineering thing all came together the only thing that changed for me was I always saw myself as going to be a mechanical engineer uh, and it was only at university we did a broad couple of years um sure. the first two and I discovered the aerodynamic side of it and it was just really cool really interesting so that was and yeah I like I say I I, I came out at the end and um yeah that's how my kind of career went as in terms of yeah education and and how I got into it it's it's something that I want to carry on. I think so Harry, if you wouldn't mind answering the next question first, is it the, the culture that you came into? And I know I I like to go first because I think Harvey's going to have quite a quite a detailed answer, and it's going to be quite interesting to listen to. But I think in terms of yourself going from university into a culture of high performance into a culture of the lightest gram matters, the the nanogram matters. So what was the culture like going into work for there, and how's it changed from motorsport? over the times to now going into automotive it's a really interesting question in one sentence but i'll go into more detail the culture between university and motorsport was pretty similar it's all fairly obsessional you're doing what you're doing and you're really into it and it's you don't really think about integrating as much you don't consider like a work day you don't you work in a very similar way at university as in motorsport i found it's it's a mm. strongly passionate thing where you just work and work towards a goal which at uni is exams and uh, in motorsport is winning races it's sort of very similar it becomes the bigger shift has been moving into the car industry and it becomes much more of a holistic thing i guess uh, the working better with with other with other attributes with other areas of the company is a much much more crucial thing in a road car company because the companies are much bigger and, and trying to get that many people all working together in the same way takes a lot more coordination and hmm. cross attribute and cross part and engineering collaboration so yeah in terms of a, a, a culture yeah that's there's a much bigger difference there motorsport is a very singular especially in aerodynamics um it's a very singular almost siloed way of working you have 
very specific targets and there's not really much like like we were saying earlier on where you sort of pull in your direction you're encouraged to just go in your aerodynamic direction um and take it absolutely as far as you can whereas in road cars the bottom line is you're trying to sell cars and make a product and just going in one direction really doesn't help the overall effort it's understanding what you can do what choices you can make and how you can help people and people can help you to achieve a car that is overall going to be the most sellable car the best uh car for people to use every day yeah that was um that was the big culture shift for me yeah i mean i think for me because i didn't know what to expect the big thing for me was was spending that year in industry before i went to university Mm. um because I, I, you know, I suspect there'll be a lot of people out there listening to this podcast who might still be at the sort of educational stage of their career. They might might relate to this. That by the time I got to the end of my A levels, honestly, I'd had enough of studying. You know, there was a bit of me that said, I'm, you know, I, I need a break from this. So actually, the idea of having a year out, you know, in the way that a lot of people take a gap year between A level and and uni, really appealed to me. And the plus for me was then getting to go and spend that time in the industry I thought I wanted to make a career in. Because so I kind yeah. of, I understood, the. I then got to learn about what the culture of work looked like and what it would be, what it would involve. So by the time I got to uni, what it meant was I, I, I really had a purpose for being at university that I had something I could focus my studies on. And, and a bit like Harry, you know, the transition from then university study into the first engineering job I had in in what was still British Leyland uh when I joined it was a natural progression because I was in the research either the advanced research bit which was quite an academic area yeah but then as that developed you know the culture changed dramatically over the over time I remember the in the Andy Palmer interview you did right at the beginning when you were you know the first thing you did in your podcast Andy talked about the sort of industrial unrest there was in the early 80s when he started and and that was kind of like the time I was coming out of university and it was a very confrontational type world you know between management unions and so on and the further I got out out away from the research side of the company the more I sort of started to experience bits of that culture but then also noticing how it changed over time if I go into any car plant in the UK it's a much more collaborative cooperative type thing you know everything I was saying at the beginning about the sort of roles I had characterizes the sort of changing culture in the industry so you know I think pretty much without exception certainly in the car maker bits um you know I suspect the supplier sub-industry if you like into the mainstream car makers is still a bit more varied but certainly all the big car makers in the UK you'll get that collaborative supportive culture that's very much focused on developing people helping them to become the best they can be um you know and I think if people are thinking career-wise and they're in the engineering space or in the car industry, in the you know going into an industrial sort of career. I think the car industry is probably one of the nicest places to work that I know about because of that, because it values people, you know, in ways that I think a lot of other industries have yet to catch up with. Yeah. You know, the big thing that 
surprised me when I left the car industry to do consulting back in 2004 and started working for other manufacturing organizations in different industry sectors was it was like go it was like literally winding the clock back 20 years in terms mm-hmm. of the working culture the way they went about stuff um and you know i think that is still true today is that the car industry in lots of ways is still at the leading edge of how a high performing organization works in any sense and in manufacturing in particular you know so if you want to learn get to the latest thinking it's a brilliant place to be you know, even yeah. now, you know, I, I get all my inspiration from keeping up with what the car industry is doing because there's still new stories coming out and it's still pushing boundaries. Well, brilliant. And I mean, guys, in terms of your unique perspectives of the car industry, let's let's talk about sort of the things that you think are doing are being done right. And like you said, things are being doing done wrong. Like you're talking about the inclusiveness of mm. of, of the employees and management. That's, that's great. Working together as a team is always 10 times better than yeah. going down an hour on your own so what yeah. are the the, let's say the pros and cons of, of the car industry that are both leading the way and that could do with improvement so i think there's a real people focus i guess because it's so big you have to look after the people otherwise it doesn't work for you but certainly that's that's my experience it's a massive plus and it gives you a lot of freedom as well there's a lot of empowerment that I, i'm enjoying particularly at the moment so I sorry, think what is that empowerment like just in terms of so the, the listeners can get an idea of how you're being empowered so i feel like i'm very free to make decisions to uh drive something in a direction i want to go i'm not trying to carry out something that someone else is asking me to do has not always been the case in my career <laughs> so i think there's a, a lot of freedom there it's, it's not to say you can go and do whatever you want for sure there's you know you've, you've got still got to be working towards the right thing and making progress but there's an acceptance that there's not one way of doing things that as long as you are making progress um you can do it in your way or in, in a way that works for you uh, and that's really really enjoyable from my experience in the car industry so far um and seems to be quite widespread quite um in terms of things that uh the car industry could maybe learn from coming from a background of formula 1 some of the processes there have been refined to what I maybe didn't realize was um, a quite exceptional standard. Uh, I think I'm quite privileged to have started there. So I, I appreciate I'm quite, quite lucky in that sense. Yeah, some of the processes in terms of how fast you can go from problem to solution um, okay. are quite incredible within motorsport. And I think the car industry could apply some of that learning and make some it give people more time to do more of the work they they could be doing that would drive it forwards rather than yeah i guess uh, having to focus too much on some uh bits of process or admin or that side uh of my career i could I, it's something that i'm hoping to bring towards um my job and um try and help with so what would I, what would i say i mean First of all, let's go with go with the what's better. I mean, I think Harry talked a lot about that idea of empowerment, and that has been probably the strongest single theme around the evolution of the industry over my time in it. And a lot of that, if you know the kind of history of the car industry in the UK, as some of the people listening to this will do, you know, we went from a, a market where, you know, when I was 
in my teens, pretty much every car on the road was made in this country. Yeah. Um, and there were very few foreign cars around. You know, if you talk about the, the 1960s, even cars made in other bits of Europe were relatively uncommon uh, to a world now where, you know, cars come from all over the world. And the big shift in that was the Japanese penetration of, of the European market because they were building cars that were better quality and cheaper and offered the customer more and were more reliable. And therefore, we learned a huge amount from studying why the Japanese were so successful. And a lot of that came down to this focus on problem solving that Harry talked about. So, you know, I think Harry's been in a world where that very rapid problem solving is, as he said, is right at the edge. And I suspect the mainstream automotive companies probably haven't quite caught up in terms of speed of doing that. But there's certainly been a big change in terms of how problems get solved, because in the in the 70s, the early 80s, the view was very much it was management's job to sort all that stuff out. And the, the, the people on the, the shop floor who were actually building the cars were to a greater or lesser extent still part of the machine. You know, they, sure. they we were they were very much, you know, do as you told was kind of the predominant culture. Whereas I think today, and I suspect if you go to Toyota or Nissan in the UK, you'll find they are much more disciplined about this than, say, JLR would be. But all of them will very much think about the best people to fix out product, fix production problems are the guys and gals building the cars because they've got intimate knowledge of the impact of that problem and so on. And therefore, they should be leading the work and are encouraged to do so you know that that becomes part of the rhythm and discipline of daily work in manufacturing my supposition is that that has that hasn't necessarily filtered through to the engineering product development side as much as it could which is perhaps what harry's reflecting in what he said you know i think there's been so much focus on optimizing manufacturing that some of it hasn't filtered through. Now, that's not to say none of it has, because the thing we started with, which was this collaborative thing, agreeing targets and so on, is all about... Headspace is now becoming more critical than ever. In the past, if you wanted to work on your body, you'd go to the gym. And if you wanted to work on your brain, there was therapy. But recently, other options are becoming increasingly more popular and available. I'll be the first to admit that having access to the privilege and being able to afford treatment has been some of the best working out I could have ever done. So thank you for Tacona, the brand set on taking mental health conversation and breaking the taboo in the automotive industry and helping calm the campaign against living miserably by creating a Christmas raffle. By entering this Christmas raffle, it gives you the opportunity to win amazing prizes from all corners of the automotive world, from clothing coffee and art to ride in a Porsche 959 and a private tour of Concord. So if this sounds like something you want to get involved with to enter and win these fantastic prizes, you must head over to justgiving.com. Join me by giving and helping Calm continue their work with suicide and mental illness. Plus win your share of 15 and more amazing prizes as a thank you for your generosity and support. The links will be in the show notes below. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me or Tacona, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to help. And not only are Tacona 
helping with this Christmas raffle, also helping you with 15% off their store. That means you can get something for yourself, your loved ones, or someone you care about, just to let them know that it is okay to talk, and it is okay to have conversations around mental health. Now, back to the episode. Let's not get to the point where we have problems. Yeah, I guess um, it's maybe worth my clarifying. I I think people-wise within the industry, people are very good at kind of flagging things up as they see them and trying to work together to to preempt some of those problems and and build things in i guess yeah where i see opportunity is um is maybe within some of the tools that we use does that make sense rather than people wise i think it's the the tools you know there's a a lot going on in that world at the moment but trying to make use of better tools and use the data that we have in a more efficient way that's maybe where I see the the real opportunity yeah. at the moment. But it's um yeah, like I say, it's it's aerodynamics is is some can be a little little world of its own. Yeah, I do come from quite a specific background, so yeah. um, Formula One has uh, some pretty incredible tools, but uh, it also has quite a significant budget to build those tools. So trying to cherry pick the bits that are going to add value to the organisation rather than just chasing ultimate excellence, I think. Yeah, it's clearly it's quite heavily based on balance at the end of the day, especially when you look at the, the amount of manufacturing, amount of processes, and the amount of so just going through the order. So logistics wise, you're talking about balancing manufacturing and pleasing every customer on earth. Like you can't do everything at once, but also pleasing every employee. And some employers like yourself will want the big tools. They want the big tooling. And it'd yeah. be great if, if if there was unlimited budget to go and go, right, let's use 80,000 machines that cost 200 million pounds a piece. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think British cars would have a problem catching up with Japanese. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 mean I, think, I think these days the it's not a case of catching up so much anymore. I think that bit's been done to a greater or lesser extent. And it's about where do you strike that balance? You know, and you, you could argue that Toyota and nissan have probably taken the manufacturing excellence side of it they're probably leading in that area but you know most toyotas and nissans are not that exciting cars in lots of ways you know toyota are, toyota make very good very reliable cars you go into motorsport maybe a different thing but toyota and motorsport's another story altogether isn't it but and nissan and motorsport but but in terms of mainstream production cars and probably people by and large, and again, there'll be exceptions, don't get as passionate. I'm going to get loads of Toyota and Nissan owners grumbling at, you know, Harry Anti, but hey. Whereas I think, you know, the focus of companies like BMW and JLR and so on is much more about the technical excellence of the product. You know, mm. people get much more passionate about Jags and Land Rovers and BMWs and, and so on, perhaps, on the whole, than they do. So it's finding, it's it's p- picking a different place on that playing field, if you like. But equally getting good at all of it, you know, you know, today's Jaguar Land Rover cars and BMWs and Audis and Volkswagens are as well built as anything, you know, but but they've taken they found a different place on the playing field, which is I think is one of the strengths of the UK is that creative, innovative side of car making. Because I think, you know, you could argue that because they've gone for this very disciplined, very structured approach it can easily squeeze out innovation in some mm. some regards and creativity. Whereas I think the UK is probably where, where a lot of companies come for that in the auto sector, which is probably why a lot of the F1 teams are here. A lot yeah. of the automotive consultancies are here. 
I mean, let's, let's, I mean, in, speaking of innovation, I mean, just to give some background to people listening, in the background of Harvey, there's, there is the original Alec Isagonis Mini. So let's, let's, if we look at these these moments in history as as big jumps and we look at innovation, obviously yeah. electrification is a, is a big part of that conversation. Yeah. And do do you think, but do you both think individually, the sort of, obviously, what is your own opinion of where the where the market's going? Is, is electric cars the next thing or do we need to be looking at hydrogen and do we need to be looking at other powertrains? So I think electric is the current thing, you know, and it's mm. been really interesting listening to some of the past podcasts, what other people have said on this. But I think I think electric electric is the current thing. And and certainly, you know, for those who are just listening to the audio and this behind me, as he said, I've got a load of model minis, classic mini and current type mini. But I've also got a couple of BMW i3s because my current daily driver is an i3. Mm. Um, because we wanted to get into the electric experience and uh, I was just intrigued by the technology on the i3 as a daily driver I'm not going to go back to a combustion car ever I don't think not if I can not if I can choose because there's just the driving experience for electric is is just phenomenal I think it was Richard Morgan you interviewed a week or two ago mm-hmm. was talking about that wasn't he about the, the yeah. driver experience but I th- I wonder you know how long term a trend that will be because the big the biggest problem is batteries and range and although that's progressing i mean i'm no expert by the way you know this is my casual observation from just talking to a few people and and my own experience of this is you know i think somebody said there isn't enough raw material in the ground that we know about to make all the batteries would need to complete electrification of the the worldwide car population is just not physically possible. So I think if that, if nothing else, will will drive the change. And I think what's interesting is, come, you know, we talked about the Japanese not being innovative, but but something Nissan, you know, what Nissan and Honda are doing at the moment, which is saying using a combustion engine to generate the electricity and using an electric motor to drive the car gives you the driving experience of electric without some of the associated problems of, of battery. Because if you've got that combo of hybrid, rather than what most current hybrids are, which is predominantly ice, combustion engine driven mm. with a bit of battery assist, electrical assistance, you get a different balance. You get the driving experience of electric, which everybody who or most people who drive electric come to love, which is what I love about the i3, is the driver experience, but without having to have a big heavy battery. And then the challenge becomes, well, what's a better electricity generator than a petrol engine or a diesel engine, which is where the idea of hydrogen fuel cell comes in. You know, so I I think I don't think the story is over yet, you know, as a as a non-expert but interested observer. You know, I don't I don't think the story is over because I think pure electric is brilliant, but has a lot of downside that we, we haven't really explored fully yet. And I think mm. we're still to see the effect of because the percentage of electric cars in the population is still quite small. I think it's going to be a challenge as it grows, both for battery making and just for char- char- the charging infrastructure. One for me is still a big, a big question mark. No, definitely. I mean, Harry, in terms of, I mean, obviously you can't speak to certain things, obviously um, basic, but aerodynamics, as far as we can push that, are all cars going to end up looking the same? And they're all going to be able to push to the same sort of, <laughs> Looking like a McLaren speed tail, because frankly, that's all we can get out of it. But I mean, in terms of in terms of maybe speaking about electrification and looking at aerodynamics, what is your opinion on how far it can go? 
it can go i can go a long way i think it's uh aerodynamics definitely plays a massive role because i i tend to look at to slightly answer harvey's question instead i think we need to look at a, a more broad energy-based approach rather than electric cars is an answer not a question we need to work out much more generally how energy is uh, harvested distributed and used and electric cars are a method of improving some of the efficiency and i very much behind that and i think it's one of a number of good ways forward but we still need to produce the energy that we're uh, it's a classic argument but we still need to produce the energy in a, a carbon neutral clean way that goes into electric cars and still if you're using an electric car then your energy has been generated even if it's in a coal-fired power station it's still being generated in a more efficient way than it is in a car that runs around just you know uh runs around a city they're fundamentally inefficient engines compared to you know a, even a coal power station which is not good not a good place to be so electric cars definitely have a place my view on it is that electric cars to use uh in financial investment terms we should diversify the portfolio um, and committing to electric cars feels like quite a we've already tried for the last hundred years committing to one fuel source and realized a bit too late that it's possibly naive but we've incredibly quickly switched to one other fuel source and uh chasing it quite hard so i think it's really interesting what people are doing in terms of hydrogen cars in terms of sustainable fuels in terms of electric cars it, diversifying and, and trying to find multiple ways of answering the question so that we're not destructively harvesting resource i think is um for me the way forwards but to answer your aerodynamics question i think the world of aerodynamics is a really interesting place to be right now because if you look at say a bmw 3 series as a, a don't mean this insultingly but as a generic car shape you know it's 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 a classic saloon car shape um it's got a bit in the middle with people in it it's got a bit at the back to put stuff in and it's got a bit at the front where an engine goes because that's got to drive the wheels and the engine's the big heavy bit mm -hmm. it's sort of the shape is governed by those sort of fixed things but with an electric car you have a lot more freedom you don't have a massive engine that has to be crammed into the front um you've got much smaller motors and you've got batteries which you can distribute around the car so you have a lot more freedom with the fundamental shape almost all electric cars that come out look like in inverted commas a normal car they look like mm. your typical view of a car and that's basically because that's what people want to buy that's what people see as a car so i think the the long-term interesting bit about aerodynamics is how can you gently shift people's perspective of what a car should be from being a thing that they sit up in and has a big area in front of them so that they feel safe because you know there's a there's a lot of that in it that's it's become ingrained into how people look at cars uh and turn it into something that's potentially much more cabin forwards and will allow you to basically your ideal shape is a is a, a neutral airfoil shape so uh relatively thick at the front and then tapering to a thinner rear end and that would look a bit weird but if you can start to engender more of that shape into the fundamental shape of a car and make people want that as a a desirable object then aerodynamics has a long way to go i mean we guys we've spoken a lot about sort of obviously the, the industry's future yeah. and where the industry's going but i would like personally to speak about your own thoughts on your own careers and where you'd like to see yourself in maybe five ten years i still love what i do you mm. know in any conventional terms um if i was in an employed role i'm two years off retirement you know retirement at 65 because that's the norm and i'm going 
I don't want to be retired in two years' time. What, what would I do? You know, I'm, I've been lucky enough to evolve my career along lines that have been really interesting to me. I've been able to pursue my interests or I've been brave enough to, to pursue my interests, I guess, because because jumping out of employed car industry into self-employment was, a, was a, you know, it's a big, brave leap. Moving out of engineering into different bits when I was in the industry was a bit of a brave leap. You know, it was it was jump into the unknown. But it's meant I've, I continue to enjoy what I do. So I'm going to carry on doing it in one way or another. You know, what I, I, I'll follow my passion, but probably do it a bit less because, you know, there's an, an interesting world out there and I want to see it while it's still there. So mm. maybe do a bit more traveling. But in five years, I, I just want to be still doing what I do because I want to inspire the next generation. You know, that that's what gives me that's what keeps me going at the moment is saying, you know, I've been lucky enough to do this and learn a lot of stuff over 45 years. Part of what I love doing is sharing that with those who are coming along. So I do a lot of training these days through the Institution of Mechanical Engineers. So I'm trying to pass on what I've learned because I'm thinking if I'd known some of the stuff I know now when I was in my 20s, you know, I could have had, a, you know, I could have had an even better career, you mm. know, because. And then, you know, we've both done engineering degrees, and I'm sure Harry will comment on this. But, you know, I ask young engineers coming out of university today, say, well, how much did you learn about how to work in a team and how to collaborate and how to share? And and still very few courses teach you that stuff. Um, If you do mainstream engineering, I think if you do product design as a degree, which is is interesting because that's what my eldest daughter did. She did a, a product design degree. They teach you much more of that holistic stuff. And and so if you know if engineering's not your thing, by the way, if you talk, you know, people are thinking careers, there are other avenues to get into the car development side, which aren't about engineering necessarily. You could do a sort of design come in from the design side. But a lot of those skills, the the people skills, if you like, I think I wish I'd known more earlier in my career. Because because I learned it the hard way and and bumped up against a lot of stuff because it wasn't natural to me. Sorry, that, that's getting that's getting a long way from the question you asked me, Harry. But no, it's uh, no, it's brilliant. No, it's, but it's, I th- I think that's it. You know, my passion is can I share what I've learned to because I remember something. One of the guys who was my manager in a placement in my very first year said to me, he said, just bear in mind that the problems you'll have to solve when you get to my age are way more difficult than the problems I'm wrestling with today. And I think that is even more so, but people want cars that are better, offer more features. They don't want to pay lots more money for them. And by the way, they want them to care for the environment as well, not just be cheap and economic and fun. You know, people, you know, people really care about the environmental impact. So that's a whole raft of new problems. And it gets more and more difficult with each generation. So the more we can help that those generations sort of wrestle with that, you're going to need to be brighter and cleverer, guys, just to deal with it, honestly. I think yours is quite inspirational, Harvey. Mine is possibly a bit more loose. I think I I don't, I never try to set any kind of five-year targets or or specific aims because i i don't really i like to, i just like to see what what comes at me really i am mm. um, what i like doing is i just want to keep learning 
I want to keep learning. I want to producing more. I want to try and bring people along with me if I can. That I guess I'm getting towards bits of my career where I can hopefully help younger engineers, and I really enjoy doing that. Kind of like Harvey says. Um, so my dream in five years is to be still learning, still producing, loving the cars that I make, and hopefully helping people become better than me in the future. And and, and I don't want it to sound like I had a grand plan. You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, where would I be today? It wouldn't be where I am now. So if you come back to me in five years, it won't look like what I've just told you. You know, uh, because I, you know, like Harry, I didn't have a grand plan for my career. Um, You know, when I started, I just knew that this was an interesting place to be in. Every move has more been by accident than on purpose. Yeah. In lots of ways, you know, interesting opportunities have come along. I've had an opportunity to do something and it's taken me in some really interesting directions that I would never have thought about when I was thinking about university or thinking about what my career was going to be. Yeah. Um, right. But I've loved every minute of it. Well, no, I won't say every minute. There were some really tricky spots, but most of it, you know, I've it's it's had its difficult times, but overall you know it's been a fascinating industry to be part of um and even though i don't work, you know i don't do a lot of work directly in the car industry now the foundation and the experiences it gave me equipped me to do what i do you know if i hadn't had that first part of my career i couldn't do what i do now yeah no it's important because the question that is it, the five to ten years thing it's something that i i'd focused on heavily if you'd asked me last year what was my plan but i'd tell you in three years be this in five years be this in ten years to be this so and it's and only recently I've realized that, like you say, putting a limit on these things limits your, like you say, your creativity, your imagination, your ability to take opportunities. Because if your goal in five years is to become head engineer at XY firm and you're not there in five years, your mental health suffers because you're not what you want to be. You're striving for something that maybe wasn't possible in five years. I mean, you've you set that goal and it's unrealistic. So it's important for people to know that that setting physical goals is great it's important to have goals it's important to have ambition but to to put a time limit on them and to strive is not also not where we need to be no and yeah i suspect there are some people probably even some of the ones you've interviewed on the podcast earlier who would take a much more focused structured view of that wouldn't they you know i'm just thinking mm. i can't think of the net the gut individuals in particular i'm listening some of the podcasts i've listened to the last few weeks some people have had very clear aims. You know, I remember Andy Palmer saying, I want to be CEO of a car company. And and he would, you know, he wouldn't have said exactly when or which, but certainly yeah. he had that real focus. I don't think I've ever had that level of clarity or insistence on something. You know, it's been much more about a journey of exploration, as you've just described, Harry, both of you, actually. Um, and that's what's made it fun, honestly, for me. Yeah, and also there's, the thing is the big goals can be, they can be good for you. They can be sort of realistic. I mean, to, to the journey is is the most important part. It's in finding happiness in yeah. that that's more important. The goal can be whatever, but as long as you're happy and enjoying it. And in terms of mental health, I mean, if you, if you guys are open to speak about it, how has your yeah. journey been with that through your career and outside of it as well? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned. You know, I said I've enjoyed almost every minute of it. The 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 bits that have been challenging. I mean, I'll t- I'll I'll tell you the story. Because it was the first job I had that was related to manufacturing. And so I'd been asked to come out of an engineering role because they wanted to change the culture. 
they wanted to make it a bit more thoughtful, a bit more planful, because manufacturing was very reactive. You know, what they describe as a typical firefighting culture. Mm. And that's what all the sort of manufacturing people knew. And they, they knew they need, knew it needed to change. So I'd had some success in 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 a in the roles I'd done before that. And they said, well, would you take on the sort of production control role for all the parts we sell to Land Rover? I was at the Swindon factory that made all the pressed metal parts at the mm. time. Just at the point we were coming up to launch the second generation Range Rover. And it's so long ago, I don't think I'm... It's it. I, I'm not telling tales out of school, but it wasn't the best planned new product because Land Rover hadn't done a new car since the last Range Rover 25 years before. Um, really, they tinkered around improving the Defender and the existing Range Rover, and the Discovery was just a Range Rover with a new suit on, really. Um, and so it wasn't the best engineered car to launch into production, but they were still launching into production. So we, you know, there were so many problems I could not keep up. And because it was a new discipline for me, um, I didn't know what to do either. You know, so I was getting getting phone call, phone calls in the middle of the night from guys at the Land Rover factory complaining about missing parts or quality problem. I'm going I don't know what to do and it's the middle of the night i'm not in the back you know and that was the most i that i literally i reckon i was probably two weeks away from a mental breakdown at that point mm -hmm. because it wasn't easy in those days to say i can't cope or it didn't feel like it was yeah fortunately my boss and the md of our bit of rover were a bit more aware of that than i was and said this team needs some help you know yeah. they they accepted that i was struggling and assigned me a mentor yeah lovely guy wow. called ron barrett he was a bit the scene in the film where the main character isn't moving and everything's going by at high speed behind them ron was that guy however chaotic was around him he was there he was calm he was in control and he just taught me to step back from the noise of the day and say, you cannot solve all of those problems. However much the Land Rover guys are screaming at you, you are not going to get all those parts done today. So stop trying to do that because it's not helping. Take that time to just think, what can, why have you been brought into this role to get away from that culture? So, so spend your time going, What's one little thing I can do today that will make it better? You know, because the, what's the what's the story, isn't it? If, if you're in a hole, the first thing is to stop digging. And that was my big, big learning is if I get into a hole, stop digging, step back. And I guess the question I ask myself subconsciously is what would Ron do here even now? You know, because he was that inspirational character. But, yeah, it, it, it broke me. And, and the learning from that is admit it to yourself and to other people early. Because it is a high, you know, it's not, I can't, can't, you know, production car making's got its own, it's very different from the stress of F1, but I suspect it's, it's just, it's still as stressful. It's just different. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a getting, you know, stopping a production line is an expensive, messy business, whatever you do. You know, if you think one car every 64 seconds at 30 to 100,000 quid a pop, it's a lot of money to, to lose if a production line stopped. So it makes it stressy. 
No, definitely. I mean, Harry, speaking up on the F1 to the to the mainstream car manufacturers, how has that differed and how has your experience been with it? Yeah, so I think the F1 side definitely had a lot of high intensity, high stress periods. And I relate to a lot of what Harvey was saying in that sense. So I think you're right, there are a lot of similarities between the industries in terms of feeling like you have to keep going, uh, some of the difficulties in dealing with the pressures around that. Um, I think my experience of moving to the car industry comes back to the culture question you were asking towards the start. Mm. I think the culture of being very people-focused helps quite a lot with easing some of that pressure and allowing you, allowing you to make more mistakes in a constructive way, giving you slightly more time and space to be able to get things wrong, to get them right next time, or to find your own way of doing things. In motorsport, I found the you had to have the answer yesterday. And when okay. you have to have the answer yesterday, you have to get it right first time because you're already a day late. And that I struggled quite a lot with that intensity and that kind of um, pressure when I was in motorsport it can lead to some incredible highs. Um, again, I was quite lucky, but um, yeah, it can also be quite difficult to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you guys for, thank you guys for sharing your experience. I mean, I can't speak from a car point of view, but I can certainly speak from a hospitality point of view. I mean, having my background being in pubs and restaurants is you can like say being a day late and a dollar short um is 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 how most of it is if someone's food's wrong or if someone's someone's drink doesn't taste right like you say it can be something it can be so small and it can be yeah. so so important to that person like you say it was like so important to that company at the time like the experience you get driving a car experience you get having a meal like these things to the consumers are so important and so the pressure puts on the people providing that experience is even more so yeah and i think i think the thing i the thing that i learned about that was whatever it feels like in almost all the cases, it's never personal. And the trick is to learn not to take it personally. Yeah. You know, um, because that's, you know, we've, in life, we have to develop that mental resilience, you know, or it'll get to you. You know, that's what causes people to have breakdowns and burnout and so on, is, is just taking it too personally, I think. You know, and as someone who at the age of 60 plus is still doing that to himself a little bit, you know, you ne you never quite, you never get over it. But you just get better at dealing with it. You know, and I think, yeah, you know, if we're talking about the mental health thing, that's probably my biggest learning is a lot of that emotion from people is just them letting off steam. They're not having a go at you at all. They just need to to let that to let that emotion out. You know, and whether it's someone who's who's got the wrong food or his food's cold or they've missed the chips or whatever it is or whether it's we've stopped production of a production line, it feels the same, doesn't it? You know, to your point, you know, that the feelings and the, the nature of the, the apparent confrontation is probably pretty much the same. Yeah. I think it's as you speak to letting off steam, it's not only is it important to let off steam, but it's also important to let off that steam and something that's constructive. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, th I think that's, that's the thing we need to learn. Um, and to that, you know, having having a group of people around you, you can do that with safely. You know, my big learning was 
have some colleagues that you can, if you're having a bad day, have somebody you can go to the, go down, you know, when I started in consultancy, that was another stressful thing because it was a lot of new stuff to learn. But there was another guy started the same time as me. And if we were having a really bad day and we were both feeling like we were struggling and getting nowhere, we'd just go down the pub at lunchtime and grab a bite to eat and a drink and just support each other. You know, so I think having that little little tribe within any organization you're in or or you know, having a little support group that have got your back that you can let off steam with is such an important part of career development, I think, whatever you know, whatever you do um or life development even you know it's just having though that two or three people that you can feel safe with and say whatever you like and deal with in a safe way rather than letting it splurge all over somebody who doesn't deserve it yeah i think uh a lot of my high stress moments you get through them because of the support of the people around you so um i'm absolutely with harvey i think yeah a lot of this podcast has been people make the difference and i think that's it's very true fantastic and speaking of letting off steam it's, it's that point in the podcast where i now ask you your your three three car garage what is it what would you have i only get three my top car ever if you look all round, is is the range rover and i don't care whether it's an old series one classic mm. or whether it's the latest latest one i just think the range rover is it it's your it's your ultimate all-round car you know, in so many ways, you know, and it, it'll it'll compete with it at some levels. It, it'll get close to what a Rolls Royce will do, but it also get close to what your ultimate off road. You know, it's it's just everything. So I'd got I'd have to have a Range Rover in there. I think from a a car I'd always dreamed of having would be an E Type Jaguar, first series, mm-hmm. but an electric conversion one because I'd want. You know, I think you just look at the people who are doing. The classic car conversions, uh, electric conversions of classic cars. I think that's a an incredibly interesting thing, and I think an electric driven E Type would just be a phenomenal thing to have as a, a fun car. And honestly, for my daily drive, I think the problem is the Range Rover. For some people, would be a daily driver, but I would feel incredibly guilty jumping in a Range Rover to drive around the corners to the shops. Honestly, it it just yeah. feels like the car you get into if you want to do a long distance anywhere. So for my daily driver, I'd probably keep my i3 because for me, the i3 is a great, fun, practical daily car. And it's going to be a classic because there'll never be another car like it because all the reasons that brought it into existence. No, long, not all of those still exist in the electric car world, you know, so I think it's very unlikely there'll be another car like it. So I think it's a future classic. And uh, the big argument in our household one day is going to be do we sell it because i'm gonna go no <laughs> i i get thinking time but i i also was going to plump for an e-type i'll have a i'll have a petrol one if harvey's going electric i guess i'll go all in and go for the v12 yeah okay um yeah they're just just stunning old cars like yeah they're just beautiful when you see them they're just beautiful something that i <laughs> i doubt never get near but uh they're awesome um i would also pick uh the car that got me into cars and i've idolized yeah since it came out is a carrera gt i just think they're the coolest things yeah ever 
and the the last one as something a bit more practical i drove a, a panamera 4s hybrid the other day and it, it was it just yeah it was brilliant kind of rewrote what i could expect from from a car it just can do everything so i'll go for one of those as my all-rounder no no brilliant yeah i mean it definitely but i think for, for for car enthusiasts and people that know about cars porsche always comes up there's there's never i don't think there's never not a conversation i've had about picking any ultimate car and it's not been a 911 or it's not been a, even i mean in macan or, or a taycan yeah 911 was on my long list it just didn't make it yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a good point when we, maybe maybe we can make the next question which is you have one car to drive on any road or track but you can only do it once where would you go and where, what would you take so the road the road i've always loved the look of because i've got i I've got a picture of it from one of my contacts at JLR is the Stelvio Pass in Italy, which is, it's that, for those who know it, it's that very long uphill mountains, lots of hairpin, hairpin. Yeah. And so I know, I know the road I'd want to do. I haven't a clue what would be the best car for that though. I'm thinking it would probably want to be four wheel drive. It need to be really powerful. It needs to have brilliant brakes um so maybe if somebody can advise me what would be the ideal car to do that in i i honestly don't know i it probably would be it probably would be a porsche just just for the fun of it you know i've got to get the porsche in there somewhere really haven't i so probably four with a four-wheel drive carrera or something like that yeah i mean or even for instance the 992 yeah I, I don't know them well enough to be honest harry your, your knowledge is probably way ahead of mine on that now yeah, but yeah, it's this is a new nine eleven. It's is doing it's doing crazy things. It's a it's a big big factor. And sort of if you look yeah. at Car Wow, if you look at Car Wow yeah. and drag races, it's it's making its way. But I mean, Harry, but what about what about yourself? So I uh, I got into cars through um, Evo magazine. So I'm sure, yeah, I guess plenty of people did, but they always used to do uh, the route Napoleon in the south of France was always one of their proper yeah. test runs. I always just. It looked brilliant in the photos, so I'll I'll go there. Maybe in a drop top E type. I think mean, that would be lovely. Great, great choice. Um, and the, the next question is is sort of it's one that I think we've we've kind of touched on, but I'll ask anyway. And it is, I mean, who inspires you? I mean, heard you ask that question for the other people. I thought, who was it? And a lot of the time, it is it's not the the big high profile people. It's guys like Ron that I mentioned. Who was mm. my mentor? Who was unflappable? It's like our um, MD at that time, who had a reputation of being quite a fierce guy within the company, but actually, once you got to know him, he was the kindest, generous, thoughtful, caring guy. As an MD, the thing I always remarked about him was whenever we had a big meeting, he was the guy who poured and took around the coffee to everybody. Um, yep. So that idea of what I'd call servant leadership, you know, who sees themselves as not someone there to tell everybody what to do, but he's the guy who provides direction and support and encouragement for the rest of the organisations. He was a great role model for me. And my controversial one's probably Elon Musk, not be, you know, he's getting a lot of bad press for the way he treats people, given everything we've said about people in this conversation. Yeah. And he definitely doesn't get it for that. But what he does get it for, for me, is his willingness to challenge conventional wisdom. You know, he got a lot of stick from a lot of car industry people for not listening to advice from the rest of the industry as to how to make cars. Um, some of that justified, some of that not. 
But, you know, I think the fact that he took the risk and was willing to push the boat out and bet the farm on electric cars, trying to change the way they were manufactured. Some of his experience worked, some of them didn't. Could he have got there faster if he'd got some more advice? Maybe. But on the other hand, would he have been talked out of stuff? I don't know. So that's my, my controversial choice. That's probably three's probably enough, isn't it? Yeah. I think I um I don't think I'm very good at looking to um to other people really. I try and learn from people around me. Um I think in some ways, you know, Harvey and the way that he works is uh quite a good inspiration for me. I think I also take a lot of inspiration from my partner. I think I have yep. a lot of conversations with her and um yeah, I guess rather than being inspired, I try to learn from people. I think I learn a lot from her on how to deal with things and how I can improve the things that I'm not so good at. But if to put yeah to give one that's maybe more um, well known i think lewis hamilton is actually quite inspirational in terms of what he's achieved within uh a sport that doesn't um typically reward somebody from his background and i think he goes about it uh in a way that's really inspirational i think he's changed quite a bit in the time that he's been in formula one um and i think his positivity and his drive to use things for the better that he's developed over his career i find that quite inspirational i think he's he's very good at getting the positives out of something and moving helping to move something forward having a really positive outlook uh and that's something that i try to try to do where i can but maybe it's one of my big failings and that's why i focus on it i don't know but that's that's what i try to yeah, I think like we said, life is life is a constant exploration. It's constantly evolving. You can't beat yourself up on for something you're not doing. But it like it's like I said, to, to be self-aware enough to realise the things that you might not want to do, you might want to do in life. I think that that's the first step and it's is a great step in Harvey. I think that speaks to, if not massive brownie points, um, but <laughs> it speaks to yourself as, as a person though. I mean, to, to have the people that have inspired you and to then inspire someone like Harry through your actions and through through your parenting as well in that, in that respect and your ability yeah. to impart life lessons as well All right. I'm, I'm cringing at this point obviously but uh, yeah it's, it's it is nice to get the feedback though um because that's what i do it for you know not just from people in the family but all the young engineers and, and others that i come across you know that's that's what makes me continue to do what i do yeah and i think for i mean for young engineers uh, or people just starting out their journey in cars or want to change into a journey of cars and they found this podcast through that. Uh, what is the piece of advice or pieces of advice you'd give to someone that's starting out a journey in the industry, always wanting to look into change into it? I mean, my simple one is, is just be open to open to learning and challenge. I mean, I, if I would say to a lot of people, there, the biggest single skill to work well in that sort of environment is the ability to receive feedback well. It's as simple as that, you know, to be to be open to other people saying, here's something you could think about. Mm. When every bone in your body's going, I don't like being criticized. You know, that's that's a skill to learn. Um, and it's not car industry specific, but it's about coming into any new arena. 
that willingness to be open to learning from others because it's a fascinating industry to learn from yeah just you know people have so much to give and i'm you know having just changed industries somewhat um i'm loving just learning as much as i can from everybody around me um trying to ask the stupid questions and under, yeah understand everything so um and people have been brilliant with me you know everyone's always happy to to give an answer um keen to to show you what they're doing and help you be a part of it um and yeah i think that's that's the thing is be if you're open to that um that's what you need to do there's a there's a there's a the elon Musk thing. there's a there's a balance right between um uh you want to try and learn from people as much as possible but you don't want to just become them so you, you do have to stay very open i think learning from lots of people and um then trying to to be your own person within that i think that's what i've what i've tried yeah. to do and um i think that's very good but yeah people are there to learn from so yeah don't let other people talk you out of good ideas i guess is what that's about <laughs> isn't it if you think it's good because it is it is finding that balance um and and the other thing i'd say is because it's such there's so many opportunities in the industry, so many different things that are needed to go towards making something like a car there are plenty of you know you'll find a place that fits you perfectly so don't settle for a place that doesn't you know yeah. there, there will be opportunities to find a place that you're a really good fit for um because i think you know you touch on it a lot through all the podcasts harry that says you know you're wanting people to follow their passion you know, and I think if you can find a, a career, a role anywhere that lines up with your passions, what's what's the thing somebody said, you'll never work another day again in your life. You know, for me, it's yeah. like what a waste of a life to end up doing something that you are not enjoying. And I know for some people it feels like they have to because they've got to feed the kids and have the house and everything else. But but there are ways through that if you if you're willing to be open and learn and, and grow. I'm convinced, you know, and no, the more you no. pursue your passion, the, the better. That's it. Like you, 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 I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and like I said, it's the thing I do bang on about it is it's following your passion. And it's something that yeah. I wish I'd done earlier. I mean, yeah. I say earlier, two, three years ago, I'm still quite young. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a long yeah. way to go. Um, yeah. but, but at least you uh, recognized it early enough, you know, and, and you've interviewed so many people who exemplify the, the joy and the challenges of taking that sort of leap because it's it's not an easy leap sometimes but mm -hmm. if you find it you'll find a way to to make your life work yeah and i think i say a lot that the people you spend the most of your time with are the people that you become or the people that you you shape yeah. your life after and like speaking from my point of view and this podcast and um, the, the people that i inspire me are, are you guys like if i'm being totally honest it's the people i, I interview because at the end of the day I haven't got they are my mentors in a weird in a weird way because that everyone almost everyone that I interview is older than me. Everyone I interview has a different life perspective. And drawing on that only makes me a better person, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Right, guys, I think that's a brilliant place to leave it. And um thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your your the, what you'd be able to give to this podcast and the people listening as well. Well, thank you. You know, because when I was listening to some of the others, I thought these guys are all real petrol heads and I would never describe myself like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Harry. It's been, um, it's been really nice having a chat both with you and with Harvey 
a chat. Yeah, it's, it's been an absolute joy, um, Harry. It really has. So thank you for the opportunity to come along and chat, and uh, we'll keep listening to the podcast. No, well, thank you. And I mean, not that you guys are looking for it, but if, if there's anything that you guys want to say in terms of where people can find you, or if anyone's looking for any advice, where can people reach out? I mean, best place to find me is on LinkedIn because um, I'm a grown-up and therefore that's probably the social media platform of choice for me. But yeah, if you just look for Jay Harvey Leach on LinkedIn.com, you'll find me. Um, if you look for me, you'll find me. Um, consultant, whatever. So that's the best way to get to me. Yeah, same. Uh, Harry is pretty easy to search for. Yeah. Uh, Harry McGibbon, if you need a second name. Yeah. I'm sure you can agree that Harvey and Harry are more than just the opposites in their career. The way they look at the future is similar, but also having an amazing sort of knowledge in their sector and what they can bring and what they hope to bring to the industry and the people around them is inspirational. And it's invaluable to have an insight into what the industry was like and what it is like now. I only wish I could be more a part of it. And how they find what it's like and what it was like to give consumers the cars we love and love to hate. I mean, how often do you converse with people that you don't know? And how often do you meet people in a pub, a supermarket or a shop and not ask them anything about themselves or even spark up a conversation? I know we're all busy, but I'm a firm believer in that everything happens for a reason. And if you look for opportunities, you'll find them. And you never know, the next person that walks past you in the street might just hold the secrets to the success that you have been after your whole life. So, with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, and that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars.